Welcome to Cube and Chaos. Spend some time with us, enjoying old cars and new, whether they are weak or powerful. Welcome everybody to yet another episode of Cube and Chaos. We have a lot of things to talk about today, and we also are here with our first guest. Yeah, so our first guest is uh, Vintage Cube extraordinaire, <laughs> Joe. Okay. <laughs> He's here to... Uh, talk with us a little bit about that. He's also been participating in a lot of the custom cube drafts we've done, so he'll throw in a word here or there about um, Chaos Cube as well. I am Jacob, as always. I'm Max, and... I'm special guest, apparently cube extraordinaire. That's a lie. Joe. <laughs> All right. So the Vintage Cube on Nodal is uh, still available as of now, I believe, until the 31st. Is that correct? I think it might be the 29th. Yeah, 29th. Uh, all right, so you have to get in your last cubes very quickly now. Right. I think a lot of people are going to be sad about it going, even though I think in something like the past eight months, I think this is the third time Vintage Cube has been up. So it's been up quite a bit, actually. I've played a bit every time, never a lot, but I think I had like five drafts this time. Mm. I did enjoy it. That's good. Yeah, I'm probably going to get in a few more myself, but uh, I think someone who's played easily way more than either of us um is joe here and it sounds yeah. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've i've been pretty much just playing as much as i can going positive not only infinite but positive this this kind of cube season which has been surprising and also a lot of fun to fill my time with probably gotten i don't know maybe 20 30 drafts in this point sweet and you're at about a uh, half half that many trophies right yeah i hit 13 yesterday nice yeah just a note whenever you're trophying at one every two drafts you're really <laughs> you're really killing it <laughs> yeah boy how do you do it um mostly luck actually um ah, no way <laughs> <laughs> um i've had a lot of success drafting like big mana blue decks that have a lot of interaction specifically um cards that like i tend to pick early are like colorless planeswalkers and also like artifacts fast mana like had a lot of success drafting ugin karn uh both karns actually and like even like not just having like a soul ring or or mox Worn Power Stone has been great. Are you doing like Tinker kind of stuff or are you just like ramping into these? Not even. No, just really fast mana um, and powerful cards will pretty much just get you there. If you have like a bit of cheap interaction, like counter spells, like Spell Pierce, Mana Leak, even Mana Tithe is a great one. Nice. Pick up. This, it's not the same deck still, Mana Tithe and uh, Worn Power Stone. I mean, yeah, just blue-white, hold up counter spells, play artifact mana, and then just run out the big boys. I've been watching Benny Hills, the trophy leader, a fair amount on YouTube, and it sounds like he does a lot of similar stuff. Um, I know he really likes blue-white, uh, thanks to mm -hmm. like the Teferis and Fractured Identity, and he definitely takes um, cards like Worn Power Stone pretty highly. Um, is there, are mm -hmm. there any like e cards other than like the ramp cards or the payoffs that you really like in the blue big mana decks, like stuff like Urza or anything like that? 
Yes, actually, Urza has been really overperforming for me. Um, it just does so many things. Like, it not only ramps you even further, um, it also is a great combo with Winter Orb. So you can lock out your opponent, then tap it on their end step for mana, and then you have your lands on tap, and then theirs don't, which is very good. And also having the, the construct that grows with artifacts. Um, I think I had a deck with a bunch of fast mana, Urza, and Little Karn, and just like two massive constructs, and a lot of counter spells, just easy wins. Nice. Yeah, that's a really nice way of uh, breaking the symmetry with Winter Orb. Yeah. Also, like, if you have the mana to activate Urza, like, several times, it's just like your opponent can't catch up. Uh, I think one draft I had like Tezzeret and Mana Vault and um, like Soul Ring and Urza, and I'd produce like 20 mana a turn, activate Urza four times, like cast Emrakul for free. Oh, that's a good hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you pretty much turned it into Golos at that point. That's like fun. Yeah, and it's also a lot easier to activate than Golos. Have you played any of the fabled mid-range decks that uh, show up from time to time? Or is that something you definitely want to keep your hands uh, away like from? Like the, the fair decks? Yeah, um, fair with some interaction, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you have to have a very, very good set of cards to make that work. And it like yeah. it's it's fair, but it's... it's um, I think I played one that trophied and like probably drafted a couple more that didn't but if you if you get like the cheap interactive stuff like um swords to plowshares and then mana leak i will blue white again anyway like this is now from blue right ramp to a blue white mid range <laughs> just i i've been playing a lot of blue white blue white is blue white is very powerful and then you get like cheap planeswalkers maybe splash for ashiok um, deck fade in and then just outvalue them because sometimes sometimes just having interaction is better than like having your deck solely rely on one like broken combo because uh yeah i i was playing against a green deck which ran out channel turn one or two and i was like oh might concede i don't know um, but they poured all their mana into like a massive stone coil serpent, and <laughs> all I had to do was play uh, petty theft side of brazen borrow, and they instantly conceded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there was another game uh, I was telling Max about this earlier, uh, in which I was in the finals, and I think it was it was one of my like mid range blue white decks, um, and my opponent. Just um, they ramped out Oko turn two. I spell pierced it. They conceded the game, thought about it, and then conceded the entire match. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got a trophy. <laughs> well, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, it sounds like if you had a tip for um for at least that player, it's you know maybe don't pack it in. Calm down. Don't pack it in when you're in the finals, like. Well, don't pack it in ever. Um, like, so many times I've thought about conceding, and then I'll somehow scrape out a win. Um, 
I had this I had this really powerful mono red aggro deck, um, which I trophied with, even though I haven't been playing a lot of aggro, just because it's not as like as fun to me. I was playing against like a Tinker deck, and they had like Mox, Soul Ring, Tinker, Turn One into Worm Coil Engine against my aggro deck. Oh boy. Yeah. That would make me think about conceding as well. <laughs> and I was like, it has lifelink, I'm playing red, it's turn one, I should concede. And then I was like, no, I won't. And I ended up winning that game. That's pretty crazy. Because I had like a strip mine, like took them off mana, and then I had like an abrade, and then I was able to edge my way back into the game while also keeping them off like doing anything else. I'm trying to imagine like the best sequence of cards would deal with that. I imagine like a fiery confluence would be involved, but um yeah, I think it was I think I found that like fiery confluence and a braid are very strong, very strong in mono red and also just in the format in general. Um so I think it was a combination of that and then like seething song out uh like a Thunder Ma Hellkite or Glorybringer. I think um, Benny Hills has called Fiery Confluence like the best card in Mono Red, which it's like a pretty big name. But at the same time, I'm not really about to argue. It's a very strong I mean, it does everything. It does everything, yeah. It'll just blow out artifact decks and then it'll give you that reach. So in addition to not conceding, are there any other mistakes uh, that you've seen or at least things that you've seen other players do that you wouldn't do could be like passing a card really late or making mistakes in game um yeah i feel like there are there are key turns in especially in vintage cube uh because the cards are so powerful right that you have to like like account for what your opponent has and also what your cards can do and really taking your time with those um there was one game i won that i shouldn't have because my opponent cast Nulamog, right? And I was not really prepared to deal with it. But I had an Academy Runes up. So I had an Academy Runes, a Solemn Simulacrum, and then I had um, a clone. So I cloned the Nulamog. I blocked with my Solemn Simulacrum, so it went in the graveyard. They didn't, they didn't see the line. Um, so basically... They thought they'd won by milling me out because they got uh. into attacks with Nulamog. So they got into attacks. I had zero cards in library. They thought they got me. I Academy Runes my Solemn Simulacron on top, and then I attack them and mill them out first. <laughs> um, but they had something that could have exiled it, and I would have lost. Right. Or even if they had just, uh, like if they had exiled the uh, Academy Ruins when they had played. Um, yeah, exactly. Right? Wow. <laughs> that was definitely one of my prouder moments. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. It's just seeing the line and then hoping your opponent doesn't see it as well. Sometimes it's good enough. Yeah, so I have uh, had two um, very mediocre pick one, pack ones um, season. Mm -hmm. And I will send you a link with a Imgur of these pack one, pick ones. And I just want to pick your brain about what you would have picked there. Mm, okay. Let's see. Yes. Okay. Um, personally, for this one, I would go Wasteland or Venser. Okay, so let's describe this pack a little bit. Like, what are the other cards that are these interesting to you? So, I think the potentials for me 
So you have Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, if you're just like slamming mono white, right? Which is a good, like, it's pretty consistently open, pretty powerful, yeah. fast deck. Um, definitely not the most powerful card in the pack, but if you're going that way, you could. Uh, same with Lotus Cobra. I wouldn't necessarily pick it, you know, pack one, but it's definitely a very strong ramp piece in green. Um, the reason I'd say Wasteland is because it keeps you really open, yep. and it's really, really good in decks that often are like very open lanes, like mono red, mono white. So I'd argue even if you were planning on going mono white, I think the pick might still be Wasteland, just because it's such a powerful effect to to keep your opponent off of getting to their big mana plays, which will be probably more powerful than most things you can do in mono white. Um, but if you already have your stuff out and you're able to keep them off doing their stuff first, it's just backbreaking. And then Venser's just a very powerful card for blue. It's interactive. It can can kind of be a remand without drawing a card. It can bounce like things that like they channeled out or reanimated. or things that they reanimated or like if they had a black lotus and they were like turn turn four like or turn three worm coil engine or something like that it's just a way to like keep yourself in the game with that interaction and tempo yeah i asked in our discord and many people said they were taking the vents there wasteland is certainly a very interesting pick i took yeah. the sacred foundry out of the pack because i thought that was keeping me the most open um but yeah it's like glue uh, a, a white red dual um also not like a real duel is not really a great pick so but that's what i did yeah i th i don't mind it as a pick um it didn't end up making my deck so yeah i feel like wasteland would leave you more open um for any deck if i were doing my like typical aggro thing i would be very tempted by the gideon because i think it's the second best finisher in mono white at least at the four mana slot but I think I think you make a good mm -hmm. argument for Wasteland if someone was planning on playing aggro or something like that. Um, I think if, you're, if it yeah. were strip mine, I'd be a little bit more convinced. But I mean, in Vintage Cube, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Vintage Cube, strip mine is just strictly better. <laughs> That's true. Um, but like some of the most powerful cards, especially in Mono Red, I found were like Rishidon Port and Wasteland. Yep. Um, strip mine. Just anything that can like stop your opponent from doing what they're doing while you're just playing these like one mana two twos that are just getting there. Absolutely. And the other thing is very powerful. Right. The other thing is the one mana two twos or just one mana two Xs, whatever, they wheel like very consistently. And those interactive mm. lands, at least I've found, wheel much less frequently. So yeah, I think that would be the pick there. And there's there's a second yeah, pack down here. Let me have a guess. Maybe because you said you like the uh, the colorless planeswalker so much, you would have taken Ugin here. I mean, it would have surprised me a little bit, but after what I heard earlier, maybe. Maybe. Um, this is actually a much stronger pack one pick one. Um, it is, but it's not like I felt it was not super clear what what to hear. Yeah, I think the cards that immediately like strike me as things that I'd pick would be yeah, Ugin, uh, perhaps Preordain. 
um, just because it's such a good cantrip. Um, but I think the correct pick is probably bribery because that's just five mana win the game in most in most matchups. I really hate bribery though. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not fun for either of you. But it, yeah, I think it's probably correct. Yeah, I think I'm likely to agree with that. I like the blue cards best out of that pack, which is something I don't say all that often. But I think bribery is just a little too busted. Yeah. Um, if you were expecting like blue to be completely cut, there's like maybe a chance you'd pick Ugin, but Ugin is much more likely to to like perhaps come around. Although it's very unlikely. There's almost no way bribery would come around. So you're 30 drafts deep to uh, this iteration of Vintage Cube. You make an argument for, you know, listeners doing the same thing. What do you enjoy so much about this cube? Uh, do you think things could be improved? Would you keep it as is? I think you know what the decks are most of the time, uh, which is like a both a positive and a negative because they're very fun decks. Um, I think perhaps... If they introduced some cards that like spiced it up a bit, it would be perhaps interesting because you have you have very like set archetypes and you know pretty much what a good deck would have. Like you know what a mono white deck looks like, you know what mono green looks like, you know what a storm deck looks like, you know what a reanimator deck looks like, you know what like an artifact tinker kind of deck looks like. Um, but I think what they do really well is these decks are really fun to play and their varying degrees of success that you can like draft them and read like the lanes in terms of what's open and then there's just like like playing with powerful cards is is a lot of fun in my opinion it's not necessarily like balanced or like fun for your opponent if you're just like forest mox emerald channel emrakul or actually um yeah like or even if you were like Forest, Black Lotus, Crack for Green, Channel, Finale of Devastation for 10, Get Progenitus, Hit for 20 with Haste. <laughs> I think there's something a lot like very fun about that, and it's not something you get like elsewhere. So I think that's what like keeps me coming back is that like it's a it's a format I understand because like the kind of decks that you can construct are pretty like pretty you you know what you can construct and you know what you're going for what cards you want to see for the most part um so it's it's like it feels comfortable but it's also like there's surprising interactions and there's a lot of good uh additions recently like urza raisin borrower um i've had a lot of success with those specifically and shark middle shark typhoon shark shark typhoon i do play yeah it's it's good because like it can't be countered when you're cycling it so it's very good in the like control matchup and just like when you're have so much mana right because you can get ridiculous amounts of mana in the format it's something you can like pour a lot of mana into it's a little like crisis on steroids to me like no you don't draw as many cards with it but it's just so flexible like yeah spending all of your mana doing it at instant speed it's really i think yeah just like like just flash in an 8-8 shark <laughs> as like a removal spell uh like evasive threat and you draw a card and ink eyes is helping yes so um i actually won a game because of ink eyes 
like a reanimator because of your ink eyes <laughs> yeah because of my ink eyes <laughs> like <laughs> reanimator mirror ink eyes happens to be very good oh that sounds sweet like a great game yeah yeah i don't think reanimator is like the strongest deck and it's actually very good against itself because like you can reanimate their thing you can animate dead their thing um so it's actually like a very nuanced mirror match but it can be very fun and ink eyes surprisingly helps with that something i think you could take from that is i think all the reanimation spells that target any graveyard which i think might be all of them in vintage cube i think are really nice sideboard cards if you're not in reanimator but you are playing black mm -hmm. because they are especially if they're cheap right yeah uh something like necromancy i think in particular which you know your opponent goes for instance to reanimate something and because you can cast necromancy with flash effectively counter their spell and maybe you draw seven cards with your gristle brand or whatever before it dies mm -hmm. um yeah so i'm gonna pose a question to you that uh that jacob asked me at least a couple weeks ago um so you were talking about how the archetypes for vintage cube are very clear cut do you think that they'll ever mm -hmm. do like a major overhaul of vintage cube where they like change up uh the strategies like entirely or at least a bit um i don't think so i think it's really successful as is. It's probably like one of the most popular formats they have on MTGO. Um, I think financially it wouldn't make sense for them to change it too drastically. And I think it's in a good place regardless. Like it's it's still fun even though you've drafted all the decks. Um, there are still like pool interactions that you can kind of shoot for. Like uh, I was watching Kayla D's stream and he had this step where he like had to draft this infinite loop with um parallax wave oblivion ring and relic warder where you could like infinitely like blink your creatures and like exile your opponent's creatures and like it wasn't necessarily like the strongest thing you could do or the most consistent but it was like interesting to see that these little combos are in there um so i think i think it's in a good place still and it's still in an interesting place so i don't think they'll change it yeah i mean there was some point where they changed the legacy cube by uh, removing stone from it i think many people didn't like it but some mm -hmm. people did like it and i could see that as something that they would do, like choose one archetype and completely remove that to get space for something else um so like Removing Storm from Vintage Cube would probably... <laughs> probably I'd be very be upset. Idea. I'd be very upset. People <laughs> would be writing I would, in the streets I would, about that. I would one. as well. well yeah. My, my last trophy was actually with Storm, surprisingly, because it's very inconsistent. I know how believable all wow. this information is, Joe. First you say you win a game with Ink Eyes. Now you're saying you've trophied with Storm. I think... It's... I... <laughs> I'm a fraud, I guess. <laughs> Sounds like it too. I also passed tendrils like a fool and it didn't come back. So I had to brain freeze it. And I ran into like someone running an Eldrazi in their main deck first game. Uh, the classic LSV tendrils isn't good in Storm. Though. That's it. A... <laughs> That's a fun one. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I wish I had tendrils. Um, yeah. I had to like sneak out wins with memory jar, drawing them those last couple cards nice and yeah actually memory jar is very useful if you're trying to brain freeze them out um because it kind of gives you this flexibility 
we're in like maybe 1% of situations. So you can brain freeze them. And then if they have like six cards left, you can crack memory jar in response to the the last th- last two brain freeze triggers um, to guarantee the win because you never know what those last six cards could be. So that was a good interaction. Okay, so now shall we move on to Chaos Cube? Oh yeah, second iteration. Right. Mm. Just as a short reminder, the, the Chaos Cube is a 2,800 card cube uh, run by Finite and roughly uh, play out like a very high-powered Chaos Draft. You won't be able to predict which cards you get or not. The first time, uh, I think I had relatively few cards that uh, felt like stone unplayable, but I did have a lot of cards that were extremely good. Cards like Cone of Flame, Incremental Blight that just just about single-handedly won games. Not the most fun thing to play with ever. Uh, would not recommend putting them into like moderately powered cubes. But yeah, this this last time I think things were uh, a lot a lot less like vintage cube, I should say. <laughs> you know, fewer I win the game cards, and I think that was a success in and of itself. Uh, I ended up with this red green stompy deck, um, and I won one match. I had another match that I lost that was extremely close, uh, and I played a third match where it felt like from the beginning I was just doomed. Like I had no chance because my opponent had multiple tappers, which you know for a while uh, served as removal spells um, on defense for them, and they went on the aggressive. And then you know the tapping twice in a turn cycle interaction was very good for them. Uh, but they also had regenerators, and none of my giant green creatures had trample so i would play like a six drop and my opponent would have this like mana one one regenerate and i <laughs> it would just be very sad it was kind of the you know um cutting regisaur baleful strix kind of feeling i'd imagine <laughs> yes. yeah similar um but if you guys remember uh want to tell viewers or the audience a little bit about um what your decks were like what the matches were like with those decks oh um first time around I forced five color, and that didn't go great. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I will say just, uh, the second time around, somebody played five color as well, and they said that um, things actually went a lot better for them. Like, the match they lost felt like it amounted to basically drawing poorly, and it felt like the matches they won were practically unlosable. So. Yeah. Um, in the first iteration... We had the payoffs as like the big artifact sunburst creatures where you'd spend nine mana, five of which was like Uberg. specifically different colors, and you'd get five counters on it, and you'd spend nine mana and you'd be like, Yes, I cast my like game winning spell. Uh, and then it would do nothing on the turn it came down and they'd cast like a three mana removal spell or like a four mana removal spell and you just lose. Because you spent your whole time ramping up to this, getting your colors right to get this big payoff. And then it just is so vulnerable to any removal. Um, so it didn't end up going well. Yeah, that, that sounds like a major disappointment. Um, really poor like design on my part. But I think that uh, hopefully, I mean, those cards are gone, the Sunburst cards. Um, I mm-hmm. think now that the payoffs are a lot better, most of the payoffs are at five mana, of course, because colored things that's usually where they end up um mm-hmm. and one of the things that i'm really uh i think was a very good choice on my part is um 
I tried to make it so there aren't too many cards that break certain power and toughness rules. So for instance, like creatures with flying, uh, there are no creatures uh, with flying that have like power five or greater. Um, and there are no like air, mental, air elemental cards with uh, four power and toughness of flying at five mana, except for the five color payoffs where I decided that there are like cards like Chromat um, that can be allowed. Uh, five color, the five mana sunburst thing with flying that's in there. And also um, Draco, which is actually the most expensive uh, like tournament legal card in Magic, I think. So oh, wow. uh, at 16 mana, and I think it costs two less for each basic land you have. And it's a 9 9 flyer. Um, it's just uh, <laughs> also huge, also an artifact, but not. Not nine mana, only six. If you get all the hmm. all five colors, I mean that sounds better. <laughs> but does it have any like protection or anything? Um, some of them do. No, no, it has to shatter. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one can get shattered. Um, most of them can't though. Most of them are like five mana seven sevens, like Silver Queen, uh, Chromat in particular. I think can put itself on top of the library if someone tries to kill it, and it's the kind of thing where if you kill one of the five color payoffs and you like stayed in the game but it doesn't mean that you like snap won the game the way it did with the sunburst cards um yeah these rules that you just talked about i think they are very nice as guidelines for people to what they can yeah i think that's a good point if i um if i made it a little clearer to everyone up front the kind of things that would be allowed a couple things might happen one i would expect that a lot more people would try to play the five color deck and then it wouldn't work as well because the fixing would become <laughs> all that um but, well draft one is open right, for sure yeah the other thing is uh, i think people's card evaluation improves if they have an idea of what's good or what's too good do either of you want to talk about the decks you had the second time around well i wasn't playing the second time around i was um the backup that's right um, yeah because i i would have i would have run everything uh from my macbook um i was on holiday so i said if you need somebody, I'll be there to play. Otherwise, have fun, but I'll be there. That's right. Yeah, um, I ran red-green, and it also didn't go well. Um, for actually the same reasons, uh, <laughs> I think I, again, made the mistake of thinking, um, I'm going to ramp out these these big spells, and they're going to do something. Um, and they ended up not doing anything, and then I lost almost every game. Yeah. So I... I had like a bunch of like seven seven worms that did nothing, um, and I was like, I'll just get enough mana. I had like search for tomorrow turn one almost every game, which was just pretty lucky. And then I just got overrun by much lower to the ground decks, and I was pretty much drawing towards Savage Twister as my only out most matches. Got it. Okay. So questions when you say like much lower to the ground decks are you saying like uh really aggressive decks um just like decks that would tempo out well um and play creatures that were cheap and effective and like had um pretty cheap interaction like bounce spells or like removal spells those decks i really struggled against got it and also uh the again i think we played the same same deck with the uh, regenerate creatures and i just didn't have enough ways to deal with that i think they were just kind of stone blocked all my big creatures and i couldn't remove them so they kind of just 
ran over. Right. So that's, yeah, it's unfortunate uh, because it makes me think that uh, I've got a fair amount of work to do in terms of designing things. I don't want to go so far as to say it's some kind of like proof of, uh, you know, red green in particular being a weak archetype because I feel like the sample size is too small. But mm -hmm. it was a problem that I was really worried about, mainly because um, one kind of shorthand rule uh, for Chaos Draft in general, but also for the cube, I guess, is that the farther back you go into Magic's history, the better spells get and the worse creatures get. So yeah. red green. Red green. Exactly. Red green, a creature deck. Green has just about zero removal spells in there. Uh, very few non-creature spells in general. You mentioned Search for Tomorrow. Imagine that was just about it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think, I think Regenerate, um, like in order to make green better, I think I'm going to have to start uh, trying to remove cheap regenerators from the cube. The other option would be I try to make it so the green ramp payoffs all have trample. I feel like yeah, be pretty difficult. So uh, do you guys have any other uh, opinions, suggestions, things like that, uh, especially about uh, the topic? I found, uh, I think maybe my deck was just bad and I was probably also competing for red green with you. Um, so I don't think this is necessarily like par for the course. Um, but I, I struggled against flyers as well. I didn't have like those really strong, like green reach creatures that just shut down those decks. Um, and I think that that's definitely an important thing to, to take into account in the, the chaos cube is what decks you're going to be running up against because there will be a flyers deck. So yeah, just picking up those things that will will keep you alive long enough to actually play your big payoffs is very important as well. It's funny you say that because uh, in my third round, I played yet another green deck, and uh, this was the player who uh, ended up replacing Crackshot, um, and he had best like the best reach creature in the cube uh, in his deck, and it had this ability. Or you pay green, green, and X. I think it's called like Silk Lash Spider. And it deals X damage to each creature with flying. Despite that being such a good answer to the Flyers deck, I decided that <laughs> it was just too good. It was unfun. It's the kind of thing where you can't even play a creature with flying. It's just going to get mowed down. Um, so trying to play that mm -hmm. matchup would be miserable. Um, but actually, if I remember correctly, so I just said that uh, like you and I were both in red green, and this other person was in green. Someone else was playing five colors. I think, if I remember correctly, all told, six people were in green. So, yeah. Wow. I think that has less to do with uh, green being very powerful color. I think it has more to do with the fact that packs um, draft.info are just totally random. Like, for instance, today, Mm -hmm. uh, there were three Boros drafters out of eight people. I remember, I remember thinking like, "Hey, uh, this pack has so many red cards. I'm almost definitely going to wheel something on color." And despite yeah. there being two other Boros drafters in the same pod, I did wheel something. I think that's less of an issue for my cube in particular, and more it's kind of a something we're going to have to deal with in terms of using draft. Yeah, I got the same kind of signals during the chaos cube where I'd I'd see these like powerful red green spells wheel and I'd be like, "Oh, red green's wide open. I should just focus in on that." And then it turns out <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. Competing with two people, the five color person and me. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, but 
it is just also very hard to read signals if you are not very knowledgeable about the cards in the format. Mm. So in a, in a cube that's new for you or also in a cube where there's such high variance because it's 2,800 cards, it's way just way harder to read signals because you don't know what might have been taken over this or that compared to like a basic limited set like M21 or whatever. You know, there's only a certain range of cards people could take over uh, over this shock or whatever. And it's easier for you to figure out what might be missing. I think another, and you kind of alluded to this, another reason that's the case is because uh, people practically have like a muscle memory with the um, regular draft formats, something like M21 or something like Vintage Q that gets drafted over and over. But these draft formats, like it could be like a 360 card cube or a 288 card one, right? Like the Star Wars one. And mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily matter how many cards are in it because you know, if you're not super familiar with which cards people take highly, it's still going to be very difficult to read the signals. Yep. Right. So any other words anyone wants to say about uh, Chaos Cube or shall we move on? Well, I just want to uh, repeat something that you said because... Chaos Draft is coming back to Magic Online. That's the great news. Yes. So maybe we can talk about that. And something you said is about the green cards or creatures getting worse in the older sets. Like there will be a lot of old cards in uh, these sets. And um, there are a lot of old cards that stall the board, like regenerators, but also like onboard combo tricks. And these make like medium sized green creatures of pretty bad they can do work but they are probably worse than moderns this is also why flyers often are great because boards tend to stall out mm-hmm. right well joe thank you so i think that makes that makes it a little bit of a of a compliment to uh to your chaos cube that uh, this experience like it reminds me just a lot of actual chaos draft yeah um it, it's hard to take that as as praise though uh just because you know I may have accomplished what I... I mean, it's what you set out to do at first, I, at least. Yeah, but now now my <laughs> I'm setting my sights a little higher, I guess. I'm trying to make it, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think this ends the uh, pertinent topics that Joe is going to speak to. So uh, yeah. thank you once again for joining us uh, on the podcast. Uh, it's been nice having you. Maybe we'll have you yeah, again. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lovely time. Awesome. Great. Have a good day. You too. See you soon. Right. So yeah, Crackshot just as, or Jacob, just as you were talking about, um, yeah, Chaos Draft is coming back uh, and it it really can't be soon enough. I'm already counting the days. Um, I noted uh, some of the cards that I find and they kind of, what you said describes them too. Cards that stall the board, I think are often underrated and usually extremely powerful. Number one card uh, like this, in my opinion, would be pingers. Um, so that can range from the red cards that yeah. tap to deal damage, or maybe you pay a mana and tap it to deal damage, but also the uh, white cards that tap to deal damage to an attacking or blocking creature, especially when they deal more than one damage, can really start adding up and getting oppressive. So those cards, I think, uh, you rarely want to pass those. Uh, I'm almost always happy to pick them highly. Another kind of similar one that stalls the board would be um, healers, things that prevent damage, uh, especially things that, again, yeah. prevent more than one damage. So um, you have like the Saltfield Recluse. Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, Saltfield Recluse, which I think um, 
gives minus two minus zero there's uh, i think troubled healer which yep. can prevent two damage to certain things uh, those cards are just really extremely powerful um pingers were so good that i ended up cutting them from the chaos cube uh i left the healers in for now but they might prove to be a little too powerful as well i guess the main point i wanted to make about uh these cards and what they have in common is just cards with activated abilities are very very nice um like especially creatures we already said that the creatures in chaos draft are weaker um than normal because old sets just have weaker creatures Weaker by power level, like power toughness compared to mana cost, weaker. Right. But there are certain types like these pingers and healers that they just don't print nowadays anymore because of the board complexity they add. Like with the New World Order design point, they decided they don't want so many onboard tricks anymore, especially not at common. And that was just because boards tended to stall out, partly because players would uh, not be able to grasp the board situations anymore and were just afraid to act, which, um, yeah, yeah, it's not a great thing to have. No, it's not. And it's one of the reasons that like blue-white flyers is such a classically well-known archetype in Chaos Draft. You dodge most regenerators like we were talking about earlier. Um, the cards that prevent damage to creatures in particular uh, not nearly as effective when your creatures aren't able to block. So... Be on the lookout for uh, creatures with evasion. I think they're um, like that can be among top picks as well. Also, be even more cautious when putting things with just bond toughness in your deck. Right, pingers will have 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 a field day when they find you playing creatures. Like they need to have a really really good ability to play them. Just a two one for two is very risky. That's true. Two mana two twos. Um. You end up needing to run those a fair amount of the time, in my opinion, uh, in Chaos Draft. But uh, you have to watch out uh, when you're playing a bunch of X1s. There are players themselves, like uh, we've talked about, but there are also enchantments that um, allow creatures to turn into pingers. There are plenty of cards, instants or sorceries, that deal one damage to things. It's like Spark Spray. Uh, so uh, you really need to think about uh, the meta, I guess. But these effects, like not repeatable effects that just deal one damage or give something minus X minus zero. They are good sideboard cards, in my opinion. For example, to deal with pingers or healer. Right. So people take those, in my opinion, even lower than they should. Like they are not great mana cards, but I love to have this type of effect in my sideboard. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I've always been a fan of taking, um, it's called like Duergar Assailant. It's like a one mana one one. It's like a Boros hybrid card, and you can sack it to deal a damage to an attacking or blocking creature. Um, it's not a card I want to main deck, but it's usually pretty solid out of the yeah. sideboard, even if it doesn't hit pingers or healers too often. What I wanted to talk about in terms of Chaos Draft is that uh, what we know about it so far uh, is that it's going to be quote-unquote original Chaos Draft. So what I understand that to mean is definitely... The weaker, older sets, uh, like Kamigawa block, Mirrodin block. Um, but there's also a chance that we could see some sets uh, that we have not seen in very many of the recent uh, Chaos Draft formats. So for instance, we could be seeing Masters sets. Uh, we could be seeing... I think it means that. Yeah, yeah we could be seeing core sets. Um, I personally like core sets. I know a lot of people um, don't like having core sets in their Chaos Draft. I think that they kind of provide a nice... Uh, even like power level between the newest sets included and some of the oldest. Uh, 
maybe they're the, not the most exciting cards. Um, but where I, uh, where I guess I'm a little, where I dissent, uh, if I can figure out what I'm trying to say, where I start dissenting a little more is when it comes to uh, the very weakest and the very strongest sets. So yeah, things like Master's sets, things like Kamigawa block, um, because those, those sets really warp the power level of the format. So be very interested uh, interested to see whether uh, those things are included, but based on the label original, I would assume that they both are. All right. And you also put down in the show notes something else that they only teach. Right. Um, so I think a good way to segue into this is to return to uh, what we were talking about in terms of creatures from older sets being less powerful. We have uh, an upcoming format, and they definitely gave it an exciting name called Supreme Draft. It's coming to Magic Online. Uh, in the near future, it's on a Magic Online Edition article for Double Masters, which I will uh, make sure to link if any of you are interested in the schedule. Um, and so we don't know anything about it, except for, um, I believe the words used were, uh, it's uniquely, it's something Magic Online is uniquely positioned to do. So to me, what that means is something Magic Online can support, but Arena can't. So the first thing that comes to mind for me uh, as something Magic Online can support, but Arena can't, would be uh, older cards. So could end up seeing something not super dissimilar to Chaos Draft. On that, I really have no idea what we'd be looking at. Uh, so yeah, Crackshot, uh, do you have any kind of speculation about what kind of stuff we'll be seeing? What am I wishing for? Um... I guess maybe I'll reframe reframe the question. Is there anything else you think Magic Online is uniquely positioned to do that Arena isn't? I would also think of old cards first. Yeah. Obviously, answer there. Right. Like it used to be, I was thinking, um, because I think on Magic Online, you used to have like 64 person drafts or crazy things like that. Um, but now on Arena, you have human drafting. So the gaps between the functionality of Magic Online and Arena are closing. So old cards, I think, is the number one. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of is that somehow maybe import draft important. It could also, because that is not something that is possible on, probably never will be. What about multiplayer functionality? Can you play multiplayer? Oh, that could also be. Wow, but I don't know how that, how that would work. Maybe if you have to join the queue together somehow and already know who you're drafting with, then it could be amazing. Like, Yeah, it could be really fun. I have no idea, uh, but regardless, I'm excited to see what Wizards has in store for us. Oh boy, I now um, really hope for an online two-player, two-headed giant draft thing or something like that. It would be so cool. That'd be sweet. Or just team draft. Like I, You hear so many yeah. stories about team draft. I actually never did any myself. And that would be amazing. Like If you have to get a team together first and then join the, 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 the queue as, as a team, that would be so sweet. But I guess it will just be old cards and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've always wanted to enter some two-headed giant events myself, and it's kind of been bad luck that I've ended up avoiding them. So anything involving teams, I think, would be fun. the only kind of caveat is I feel like if it were going to be two-headed giant uh, draft or team draft, that's what they would have called it instead of Supreme. So, you know, a little, little bit of doubt there. But uh, yeah, regardless, I think we can expect some old cards and... I will sit. I will just reiterate. I guess that um, just because creatures uh, like vanilla creatures are a lot weaker uh, in these older sets on average, doesn't mean that creatures themselves are worse. For instance, like uh, you have a lot more flame tongue kavu type effects in older sets. Um, but even beyond that, even the creatures that are not 
quite as obviously good. I would say because you can expect to pick up good spells more often than good creatures, good creatures become a higher priority than some of the like three damage, for instance, removal spells, things like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, and with that, you want to talk about uh, the draft that you won today. Yeah, just today we did another custom draft. Um, it was the first time uh, that Turn to Stormcrow, one of our members of our community, hosted a draft. And um, yeah, we were a little bit afraid at first that we won't get uh, enough people to get it going with eight people in the draft. But then we did find somebody on short notice. Yeah, it was a very interesting draft. Everything worked out well for me. Um, the very first few picks were um, interesting, in my opinion, and then I just uh, cruised through what uh, what the packs offered me. So, like at the very beginning, I I saw a pack uh, which had a fatal push as the card that I would take in the end um, as the only well the only removal spell in it. Basically, it also had um, fanning flames. Um, that's for X and red, red, and buyback for three and X spell X to any target. But yeah, I wanted to take the cheap rule there. Just thought it's a good way to start off any draft. Gives me flexible for aggressive or controlling strategies. And uh, yeah, I was also thinking about um, Serendip Ifrit in the pack. It's for two and a blue. It's a very old card. Um, a three, four flyer. And at the beginning of your RPP, you lose one life, like very strong body. But basically, Fatal Push and uh, Serendip Ifrit were the cards that I was eyeing up. Yeah, I took the, the removal spell. Then on pick two, I took an X spell, Rolling Thunder, like fantastic X spell, like X and Red Red, the sorcery that deals X damage divided among any number of targets of your choice. Yeah. I think it would ha- you'd have to be like really dumb to pass Rolling Thunder. Uh, and just to you know throw this in here, I was the one passing to you. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> uh, the card I took over it was Loxodon Warhammer. Oh boy. Uh, also a strong one. Yes. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, Rolling, Rolling Thunder was my second choice. And it was it was fairly close. If you know, if the hammer weren't colorless, I'm not sure I would have made the same pick. But yeah. anyway, continue. Yeah, I I thought that this might be a sign, like at least that red might be open because I couldn't imagine a red card you would take over it. But as we said, reading sickness is, is hard, so I didn't want to put too much emphasis on this. But uh, notably, there was nothing really black in the pack. There was a, a black-red gold card only at, on medium power level and uh, a Whisperer Blood Liturgist for 4 mana 2-2. Two, two, sec- tap and sacrifice two other, or two creatures, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So yeah, it's an it's a engine piece, but nothing really in black going to go with my first pick. So that's why Rolling Thunder was a clear pick to me. And then pick three had uh, Possessed Scarp and... Um, yeah, and the other card I was also thinking about in the same pack was Tragic Slip. Um, Tragic Slip is an instant for black minus one or minus one to target creature until the end of turn, or morbid, like if creature died, then it's minus 13, minus 13 until the end of turn instead. Um, and I also thought about that because it would have gone nice with uh, the Fatal Push and possibly even the Rolling Thunder in maybe some kind of a black-red deck. At that point, I quickly checked the... Uh, description of the cube um, by Turn to Stormcrow to see what uh, Black Red is supposed to be. And Raktos is citing overview of the cube now. Similar to Gruel, Raktos just does not have much depth to it at all. The main goal in this archetype is to kill your opponent before they get a chance to do their thing. 
like all Arco decks. So the keyword I was looking for in here that was not there was something a sacrifice theme. Aristocrats, sacrifice, something like that. If I think if I would have found that uh, keyword in the Akko, uh, in the Raktos description, then I would have taken the Black Inst. Just because these Aristocrat decks, they can be relatively controlling, giving me the time to cast a big Rolling Thunder at some point in the games. But if it's just an all-out aggressive deck, then the Rolling Thunder doesn't really fit the build there. And therefore, I took the other card that I really liked out of uh, this pack, which is the Possessed Scarp. It's a uh, three blue and black, uh, a 3-2, and when it comes into play, you return an instant sorcery or creature card from your graveyard to your hand, and if it would die, exile it instead. And yeah, I thought, oh, maybe I'll go to some very dirty Grixis deck, like, or maybe just blue-black with the Fatal Push. Um, it was a bit of a gamble because it's relatively early to take a gold card here, but I really liked it. So can you see the pick as well? Would you, did you happen to know that there is an Aristocrats archetype? I just, at this point, knew there is no Aristocrats archetype in Black Red. That's what I checked, and I found it was not there, so I decided uh, that I wouldn't go for it. The only reason I mention this is because turn two, Stormcrow, the cube creator, and I think also the person you faced in round three, yes. um, was on Black Green Aristocrats, a deck that I was really impressed by. I did not expect uh, Black Green would be doing that kind of thing um yeah the deck was cool yeah like i really like it it was unique bit of a ball after an archetype yeah. in this combination yeah so i feel like um in your spot you're not really incentivized to try to move into like golgari and tragic slip good card as it is i feel like the power level is much lower than possessed scab which is or scob i really like that card uh i think i first drafted it in one of my first chaos drafts and i was just really impressed by it it's a sweet one um so yeah i think it's a pretty reasonable choice there yeah and then pick four i saw a ghostly flicker and um something i've i've talked a lot about with um tispy somebody who joined our draft today um we both always keep these flicker effects in mind when building our cubes and try not to overdo it because Something like Possessed Scarp with something like Ghostly Flicker and a third value card is a very, very hard to disrupt, repeatable source of card advantage. So Ghostly Flicker is an instant for two in a blue, and you exile two target artifact, creatures, and or lands you control. Then return those cards to the battlefield under your control. So what happens is, like, I don't know, you have Avish Visionary. Something comes to play, you draw a card, Possessed Scarp, and... Ghostly Flicker in hand, you just cast it, targeting the scab and the visionary, and then the scab comes back, returns the flicker to your hand, and because of the visionary, you draw a card. So for every three mana you put in there, you draw a card. And this is even more crazy if you get like a flame tank carbo effect or something like that. Yeah, and I think that's so, yeah. that's what the archetype was actually designed to do. Turn two Stormcrow was saying that um, the Demir Flicker deck was trying to take advantage of cards like Shriek Ma or cards like Necrotal. Um, and it's something, yeah. it's actually not the first time uh, I've seen someone design a deck that's supposed to be like amazing like two for one creatures and flicker effects. And to me, you already have <laughs> an amazing card for peasant cubes, right? Something like Necrotal or Shriek Ma. You don't need to make it any better. So that's where I think I would. No, you don't need to, but it really slams the door on any game. Like, that's where I think you cannot get 
I'll grind it. Right. Um, not to mention, like, you can, like, chump block forever uh, thanks to the flicker effect. If you have two flicker effects yeah. in hand, and if you go for a flicker and they kill something in response, you can just flicker again. It's really pretty silly. The weakness of this strategy, obviously, being, um, like, aggressive opposing decks. So in the finals, as we said, I played against Turn to Scormcrawl, the designer cube, on green, black aristocrats. And um, I had a great starting hand with uh, my pick one, pick one, the fatal push. And uh, I think also op and good mana. And um, I said my uh, have fun and good lucks and uh, very quickly F6 my first turn. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was, I thought it was okay. I had a very strong hand, thought I could come back. But um, yeah, their hand was also like great great starting hand and uh, a lot of one drops and um, like they had uh, diagraph ghoul on turn one which i then fatal pushed which i would regret a little bit later then on turn two they had uh, young wolf and uh, for one black a one one that can't block uh, and you can sacrifice a creature to put a plus one plus one counter on it what's that card called again um carrion feeder yeah carrion feeder exactly so that was their turn two and yeah then they they kept playing two spells per turn until I was dead, basically. I could just couldn't keep up. Um, and I had a lot of two-for-one creatures in my deck. Like, just three mana, two-two comes to play, you lose one life, draw a card, something like that. Rexian Rager, Dusk Legion. Oh, yeah, I'm, the Rager. I'm looking at your deck list. Seagate yeah. Oracle, Raven Familiar. <laughs> anyway. yeah, all of that stuff. And I played most of them. At, but I was forced to always block something, and it would just trade for one creature. And the number of cards in my hand just wouldn't matter at all. And I didn't get the chance to play my flicker effects on my creature, get even further card advantage because I was just dying because they went so broad and all their threats were relatively resilient. And yeah, that's how I lost game one. But I did come back in games two and three where they just flooded out a little bit after mulliganing, and that's how I did it. But their deck was definitely very strong. Yeah. Um, yeah so speaking of their deck, uh, one card that they were chatting with me about was it has like. LG in the name. I don't remember the full name of the card. It's LG Garial. Yeah, I think so. Four mana one one. The Shroud one right. one. And yeah, whenever the creature dies, uh, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. That was the card that ended up destroying me uh, game three against them. And felt like if it didn't have Shroud, there's a decent chance uh, I would have won. I'm not saying I would have, but <laughs> I at least would have had the possibility. Uh, and they were talking to me about whether. Um, Shroud and Hexproof uh, be avoided. So I'm not entirely clear on what the power level of the cube is after only one draft, uh, but I do think that uh, as you increase power level, like especially if you think that one archetype is supposed to be like Necrotal times as many flicker effects as you have or whatever, I think that that kind of thing like Shroud uh, is more acceptable. Um, like for instance, in my deck, I was super impressed by this card. Um, it's called Flickering Ward. It's one white mana to give a creature protection from the color of your choice. And for one white mana at instant speed, you can return it to your hand. So that was a tiny bit like Shroud because I was able to uh, protect some of my creatures from removal. I noticed uh, my second opponent using removal in an awkward way because because of the Flickering Ward. Um, another thing. Wow, that's a cool card. Yeah. The, never seen it i don't know are you ready for this one though because this was really sick 
So my opponent reanimated uh, Palaka Worm, right? And I think they reanimated it with Dance of the Dead. So I reread the flickering Ooh. word, and I realized that it doesn't say enchant creature you control. So I put the... <laughs> but then it gets better. So I, I enchanted the Palaka Worm, right? I named black, but it doesn't instantly die. What happens is the aura instantly falls off, then the trigger for the Palaka Worm to die goes on the stack. So then I returned the flickering ward to my hand <laughs> and proceeded to have, you know, just like a... Zero for one, kill your Palaka worm. Oh, that's so sweet. Figuring one is very high now on my list of cards. I should add. Wow, that card is cool. Yeah, so many possibilities. It's definitely a sweet moment. Um, it, it does beg the question: if you are considering removing hexproof and shroud from your cube, I would absolutely remove protection too, because I would argue that protection is a more miserable mechanic than their hexproof or shroud. But I mean, this, this it's a, it's still a little bit dangerous to to run the flickering ward. Like it has a lot of things going for it, but power level is higher. Yeah, I got two for ones once trying to enchant something and then just having the thing killed in response. But I was aware that was a possibility. I wasn't super worried about it, and I was playing a red white heroic deck where the ward is even better than usual because I could repeatedly bounce it to my hand, replay it, get another heroic trigger. Yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about this peasant cube? Oh yeah, one one last thing. Like um, one of the other players um, that I played against in round two, um, Snogglesworth or Snog, they were very happy to have picked up a lot of um, the bounce lands, the the guild Karoos. Right. and they are very very good in peasant cube environment. And I I, I agree to that. Like they are two for ones. They fix your mana. They're just great. But um, I managed to uh, severely blow them out. I was on the play game one and turn two. I had a, a Felwar Stone. Yeah, they played uh, land, bounce land, land, bounce land, like something else small. But then on my turn five, I hit them with uh, the Rover Horror, oh, no. um, which is a <laughs> four blue and a black four four. When it comes to play, you return target permanent to its owner's hand, and that player discards a card. So. I set the back by two land drops and I had to discard a card and I had a 4-4. And then on my next turn, I it. played, yes, I played Illusionist Stratagem. This for four mana, blinks two, two creatures and draws a card, targeting my Seagate Oracle and my Rover Horror and bonds the other um, crew. So that was that game. And it felt so good, but also so dirty. Like, yeah. If you don't concede there, at that point, you just don't even know that you have a concede. That's yeah. breaking in a half. <laughs> that was that was something else for sure. Yeah, but that um, made me think a little bit um, about an idea I had for uh, this pyramid cube, the relatively low power level format I'm working on. And uh, I decided that the power level should be low, but I don't want to restrict the mana with this power level. The mana level power level should be good. So I'm putting all in all of the good fixing cards um, available at peasant and maybe i will even do it with rares i don't know but to balance that out i was thinking if it would be nice and or interesting to have land destruction available and i'm not sure if that would be fun or not like i think it would be interesting but what do you think you're talking about your pyramid cube or turn two yes i'm talking about the pyramid cube like no like traditionally like stone rain wouldn't be a great card it wouldn't be a high pick probably go very late 
maybe it would even be something like demolish the card that we so often talk about. I don't know. I think that would be interesting. I have considered putting a together where there's like a Ponza archetype, but I'm not really sure because uh, I know what little I know about Pyramid Cube. I know that the more colors something is, the better it's supposed to be. So yes. I'm trying to figure out a world where I have these monocolored land destruction spells and they were like worse than the two color cards and worse than the three colored cards but they're not like four mana destroy land. Yeah, I think they would be like at four mana destroy land bad, but maybe they would be. And I wonder if that could work. Like, would these spells then be viable and will they host the, the gold cards to a degree that is interesting? Or I don't know, it could, I could be that I'm building like the most horrible gaming environment ever. <laughs> Doubt it. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting because... Um, like if you make it clear to everyone that the most powerful things you can be doing require the most colors, and it makes sense that it would be powerful to disrupt someone's colors, right? Someone's mana base. Yeah. Um, the question is like, where do you draw the line? Like, how expensive are these multicolored cards? Are they like seven mana, or are they like four mana? No, they're not. Um, they they should be just better rate. Like when you compare them, they should be compelling for you to pick them. Like they're the, there's the uh, Loxodon, no, not Loxodon, Rock's Warmonk, for example, is one of the three color cards. Got it. Yeah. And nothing will have this rate at two color. And of the two color cards, they will have a better rate than anything single color. Yeah. One thing I'm wondering about with the Pyramid Cube is how uh, supported is aggro going to be? Are people going to be able to draft monocolor aggro? Um, like, will there be cards for it, or yes. will it just lose to cards like Rock's Warmonk? Or well, I think they probably would lose to a resolve Rock's Warmonk. Not necessarily. I, I want to put uh, expensive removal in, so um, they could do something like that about that, or like Forter effect. Like there would be aggro available, and there's a little bit of like monocolor support even. Like I was, um, uh, I did put in uh, the the Eldraine. Um, basic land type, common lands, support monocolor to a little degree, and um, there also are, uh, in every color, one land that can be sacrificed for an additional effect. Like, they don't all form the same cycle. In white, there's the Memorial to Glory, land that comes into play tap taps for white, or for three and white, you can sacrifice it to create two 1-1 one, one white soldier creature tokens. Right. Uh, I think, actually, it's four memorials and then in in red instead it's a uh, blighted gorge it's a land that taps for colorless only but for four and red you can sacrifice it to deal two damage to, target, to any target classic problem of memorials are great but the red one is terrible how do you complete the cycle yes exactly <laughs> but well maybe maybe with enough bounce lands the red one is nah, no not even yeah, i don't know i was thinking like you consider in the red one in if you're thinking about like land destruction, either as an archetype or as a theme. But I think regardless, uh, I guess my point about monocolor is I think it's actually important that you include it just because it seems like otherwise you're saying best thing you can do is play the highest number of colors. So then everyone's going to try to do that. It seems like it would make more sense if you know, people have a choice. They say, do I want to play the most consistent deck where you know, I'm going to be wheeling cards and easily have enough playables and never worry about colored mana or do i want to play a deck with a lot higher power level cards and i think that also creates more like 
skill and nuance in terms of signal reading. So I basically, I'm glad that uh, you made that choice. Yeah. And white will also be relatively aggressive. Like red is probably aggressive and has um, like some land destruction things going on. And white will probably be aggressive with some artifact uh, synergies going on. But like, it's not, everything's not written in stone yet. And I will have to see where it develops. Right. So do you want to move on to M21? I think you had a few comments about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, M21. Um, it's been an interesting experience for me. I haven't drafted too many, too many drafts in the 10s or low 20s, I think. I drafted much more Ikoria than I drafted M21. But it's very odd. Like, like the format is not so super compelling to me. But I do love the cards, and I added like about twenty of them already to uh, my my peasant cube, the the mad peasant. Um, and I'm contemplating a few more, and um, I think it could be interesting to uh, talk on air if uh, about two of them, where I have very concrete swaps that I would make if I would include them. But I am not sure I want to include. And the first one of them is um, carrion grub. So it's a three and a black for an excuse me uh, for an O5 insect, and when it comes into play, you mill four cards, and it gets plus X plus zero X greatest power among creature cards in your graveyard. So it's a, a one-shot mill with a relevant body attached to it. And the card I would take out for it would be Mindtrack Harpy, which is a bit of an oddball because uh, it has not been uh, printed in a in a real draft set before it was only in some kind of weird pre-constructed introductory thing and it's also for three in a black a three two flyer enchantment creature harpy and at the beginning of combat on your turn each player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard so the effect is not quite as immediate as um the carrying grub but if you play it in a pre-combat main phase uh, if the opponent does not have a stop set <laughs> <laughs> you will get the the first mill off but it does mill both players, but also it's a repeated mill. Yeah. So I'm unsure which of those cards I want to have. Um, they're both there to support um, only one archetype, which is green-black self-mill. It has some cards that care about um, delirium or threshold, but also a little bit of reanimation. So very hard for me to decide which of these cards I like more. And I want to include one of them, but not both. Yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting decision. I like that they do the same thing at the same mana cost, um, like not even just converted mana cost, but literally the same mana cost. Um, I like the Harpy a lot. It's a card that when I first saw it spoiled, I was thinking, oh, this would be a sweet card to be in the set. And I, of course, realized from the collector's number that it wasn't. Um, but at first I thought Carrion Grub, well, I underrated it a lot. Uh, when it first came out. So at first I thought it was five mana. Um, so when I realized it was four, I was that much more excited about it. But well, yeah, uh, it's a card I've been trying in my own peasant cube and I've liked it quite a bit. Yeah, so like one of the small things going for the Harpy is that like for Delirium, it also gives you the enchantment type. Right, if it dies, yeah. If it dies. Yeah. But being so much more fragile, I think, I don't know. Uh, what I was going to say is, uh, in terms of the carrion grub, uh, in my own peasant cube, uh, so my green-black and blue-black archetypes can both play uh, kind of their classic game, where it's like blue-black functions mostly as control, or green-black yep. functions as like a mid-range. 
Um, I also put in some kind of micro synergies where if you see all the right cards, if you're not competing with anyone else, you can play a reanimator deck uh, in yeah either Golgari or Demir. Uh, and Carrion Grub is a big part of either of those decks. Uh, and so one of the reasons I've liked the card so much is if you spike like a sandworm or something off your mill, suddenly you have a four mana seven five, yep. right? <laughs> Great, yeah. But only until you reanimate it. Right. Uh, <laughs> it can be a bit clunky. Uh, but I, in general, have been really impressed with the card because you know the reanimator combo takes a few pieces. You have to find the card you want to reanimate, you have to put it into the graveyard, and then you have to bring it back. This can put the card into the graveyard uh, and potentially find it if you're lucky enough to hit it in the top four, um, or if you get it into the graveyard another way. And without having to reanimate it, you get most of the payoff, I would say, from you know, reanimating one of these big threats. So I guess my first question is, uh, are you supporting any reanimation in your Gari graveyard um, deck? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. It's it's actually very interesting. It's a it's a good point because you could just also reanimate the grub right. with your first reanimation spell and get a decent re result. Not be embarrassed by more so than the harpy, I guess. That's true. Uh the other thing I was going to say is I think the harpy's ability to repeatedly mill is really interesting, but at the same time I don't like it at all. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it the card is much more of an oddball. And I also feel a little bit that even the deck, the green-black self-mill deck, when they have to do cuts, and you very often have to make some hard cuts, they will just not include the harp just because it's so weird and you never know what will happen if you mill the opponent as well. And Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, though, there are a few things going on with the milling ability, the reason I don't like it. The first one, which I think is the simplest, is it can just lead to a game loss whether it's you or your opponent, someone's decking eventually. Um, the second thing, which is a tiny bit less intuitive, um, is if you're trying to put parts of your library into your graveyard, this makes it really easy. Like this eliminates a lot of the work you have to do. It just does it for you. I feel like, you know, you don't even need to pick up other cards that go with it uh, that perform a similar kind of effect because all you need to get into play is this card. Um, you know, if it survives a few turns. Yeah, so you draft Mindtrack Harpy and the Warm Harvest. Oh, yeah. So you just Harpy, and then you wait until you find your Warm Harvest, and then it's done. Yeah, you just go nuts. The thing is, <laughs> I really do like the card, uh, but I don't like the way it spirals out of control, like particularly in Limited. If we were talking about 60-card decks, it might be a different matter, but I feel like three cards per turn. It mills really quickly, right? Yeah. Um, like, the, the speed of the mill is like Ashiok, right? Ashiok's also three. Symmetrical Ashiok, yeah. I think it's interesting. I think it is, like, like I know for me which decision I would make. I think I made that pretty clear. But I do think it is a pretty close choice in general. Yes, you would go with the with the grub. At least I would test it out, see how it works. I think I want to test out the Mandra Harpy. I think as soon as I see somebody do something with the Harpy that is good, then the harpy will go and the grub will come. Enough. Right. Just because I want to see the oddball thing happen once. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Want to move on to the next uh, close choice for you? Yeah, it's um, the new card, Garrett's Uprising, which is two and a green for an enchantment. And uh, when it enters the battlefield, if you control a creature with power four or greater, you draw a card. Then it gives creatures you control trample. And then whenever a 
creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. And it's competing against an older card, Absent Beastmaster, and that is at the same mana cost again. Um, and nowadays it's a Dog Shaman, once it was a Hound Shaman. So it's two in a green for a two one. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you draw a card if you control the creature with the greatest toughness or tied for the greatest toughness. So we have two cards here that are supposed to draw cards for the deck that's going beefy. Um, and the archetypes that it's supposed to uh, to help out is a, a, a blue-green proliferate deck to a maybe lesser extent, and then to a stronger extent, green-white. Um, it used to be very aura-focused and is slowly turning more into a basic all kinds of enchantress focus. And uh, red-green ramp supply those additional cards. Yeah, so what do you think about the cards? Okay. Um... So first of all, I do have Garrick's Uprising in um in my peasant cube as well. So I do have a bit of experience with it. It replaced um gosh, I don't know if I'll be able to remember the card. Uh it's two and a green for an enchantment that I think it says at the beginning of your upkeep, you draw a card if you control a creature with the greatest power. Um yeah, the name escapes me for now. It should be there uh on the YouTube version. I <laughs> figure it out. One of the things I noticed right off the bat is you were talking about decks it goes into, and you mentioned like a green-white deck that used to be a little more aura-focused. Not sure to what extent uh, archetype still relies on auras, but it is pretty awkward, in my opinion, to be playing the Garrix Uprising um, with auras because creatures uh, aren't necessarily going to enter the battlefield with power four or greater. Only yeah, only once they've been modified, uh, will they have kind of stats. Um, the other thing is, it feels like the Garrick's Uprising goes in the very specific, like quote unquote, ferocious arch- uh, archetype, uh, and that's what for uh, in my peasant cube, red green deck is trying to do. I do like um, one thing that I don't know if you pointed out. I know you said that the Uprising gives trample, uh, and I really do enjoy yes. that. Uh, for the beefy creature deck, that's something that you don't get the Beastmaster. Um, but at the same time, even in my extremely four plus power committed like red green archetype, it doesn't always feel like Garrick's Uprising deserves a slot, uh, and it usually has to do with a matchup. So, for instance, um, say I'm playing against blue white flyers, right? Garrick's Uprising is kind of a blank because those. Uh, games are about racing. If I'm trying to race, then something that's just trying to draw me cards and things trample is not really the most effective, in my opinion. It feels really bad to take a card that was designed for that particular archetype and say, okay, to the sideboard you go. Then you start wondering, should I have started with this in the sideboard? And, and I don't know. I do like parts of the card, but I don't think it's always great. Beastmaster, on the other hand, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it works better with Selesnya, if you're modifying creatures, um, I feel like you don't have the same problem if you're in like a racing matchup because, as you pointed out, it does have a body. Um, and what? Yep. Mana 2 1 is maybe not the most exciting body ever. In fact, it's actually a pretty underwhelming body, but Mana 2 1 draw card suddenly, you know, that sounds quite a bit more appealing. And just the fact that it's not like a stone blank in the wrong matchup, I think. Uh, unless, <laughs> I guess it technically can be if your opponent's able to go a little bigger than you are because you're not um, drawing a card for having something with the greatest toughness, I think. Yeah, the 2-1 also does. Hmm. I, think, I think it 
makes more sense the Beastmaster does uh, in your cube, especially if I have a red green archetype uh, based on creatures with power four or greater. And even there, uh, something like Furious Rise, yeah. I'm a much bigger fan of than something like Garrick's Uprising. Yeah, I think I agree. Right. I think so. We have a uh, one time the new card, one time the old card from you and for me, basically the same, except I'm still a little bit too in love with the Mind Wreck Harpy with the, the X yet. It is a really sweet card. I'm excited to see how it plays. I remember um, both playing a blue-black deck uh, against a blue-black deck, and I think yeah, my opponent lost from decking. I'm just wondering, like, do I board yeah. in my Mind Wreck Harpy to win that matchup? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That would be cool. That's pretty much it for what we we're going to talk about this time. This one was a little longer than usual. Yeah, I think last time was similar, but um, let's see when we cut it down. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for sharing your time with us and for turn to Stormcrow for hosting today. And want to invite you again, join our Discord and be part of the community and play cube drafts with us. Absolutely. Or build your own cube and host your own drafts of that. Thanks for listening as always. Uh, thanks again to Joe for joining us. And yeah, be cubing. Bye bye, everybody. See you soon. Bye.